tuned in to the Bean Ninjas podcast, your go-to resource for scaling your e-commerce business. Whether you're just starting out or already hitting seven figures, we've got you covered with expert tips and real-life success stories from top e-commerce brand owners. Plus, we'll share our own accounting and finance experience to help you make smart business decisions. podcast is brought to you by A2X Automated E-Commerce Accounting. We'll be sharing more about this product later in the show. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? And I want I'm, you to... I'm good. I'm good, Wayne. Good to be here. Yeah, I want you to brag a bit and let our listeners know where you're calling in from. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm calling in from Grand Cayman. Grand Cayman. Cayman. Excellent. Today, we're here to cover a bit about your backstory and your experiences as a seven-figure e-com brand founder operator, how you prepared your business financials for a successful exit, as well as your latest venture into software and services. You ready to get started, Mark? Excellent. Yeah. So a bit of a backstory. Mark and I connected in August of 2022 after Mark came across Bean Ninjas on Instagram. As Mark mentioned, he's living in the Grand Cayman with his two kids, running a successful seven-figure Amazon store under his parent company that had launched in 2017 with a goal to get his book streamlined, cleaned up, caught up as he was looking to sell the business soon and wanted bulletproof financials to prepare for listing. The Bean Ninjas onboarding team started with a health check of Mark's current zero file, integrated A2X and worked to clean up, catch up Mark's two years financials to support reporting sent to Mark's broker. Mark, you shared in our initial call together that getting numbers before was like mission impossible. What was your experience with prior accounting providers and why did you choose our service? And round things out, how are things different with your experience with Bean Ninjas? Yeah, so, you know, actually I'd sold an e-commerce business back in 2016. So I was kind of familiar with the experience of what was needed to get, you know, to get those financials out. And what I was really looking for was um, a, a quick way when a, a buyer was like, I wanted some financials, I could just email someone and get them what they needed in a quick turnaround time. Um, what I experienced before was, you know, um, an email would come in and they'd be like, okay, I need X financials. And then a couple of days later, I might get what I needed. Um, so engaging with Bean Ninjas, I was just looking for more of an effortless way to to clean up my books to get everything verifiable so that that back and forth you know questions and answers between buyer and seller uh, wouldn't be i guess so you know tedious excellent so i want to jump into your journey as an entrepreneur as it's an interesting path you made the jump from being a chiropractor to an ecom brand founder and now your latest venture into software and services. So share with me a bit, what made you decide to go down the entrepreneurial path into e-commerce first? Well, actually, it's a funny story. Um, so I was running my practice in Denver and we had a big marketing team. And the thing with the marketing team is that there was always a constant flow of new marketers coming in and coming out. You always have to train them. And so I came across a, 
an internet marketer. Now, this was back in like 2008, 2009. And so we engaged with them and he started taking over our marketing. And the funny thing was like every time I spoke to him, he was, he was either in Paris or somewhere in the south of France or he, the next time he was in Sydney. Like if, this was every two weeks I spoke to him. And I thought to myself, I'm in the wrong business because here I am in Denver and I love chiropractic. You know, I like, I love going to see my patients. It was an amazing experience, but I was like, this guy's living the dream. So it just so happened. I ended up buying, um, an Amazon course on, you know, how to sell on Amazon back in 2012. And then, you know, like I jumped into it. I did the modules and I sourced my first products. And this was back in 2012 when sending money to China wasn't exactly easy. I went to the bank and I was like, can I send some money to China? And they said, absolutely no. So I ended up going to Western Union and wiring some money for my first product. And, you know, that kind of kicked the whole thing off. How scary was that going down that path into the unknown where you're unsure if the money's even going to get to where it's designed to be sent, whether product is actually going to be delivered? Tell me a bit about your concerns and some of the tips you learned along the way from being kind of an early adopter. I mean, I guess I mean, that was concerned. I was, I was interested to see if one, if the money was going to make it and two, if actually I was going to get the product back. Um, you know, obviously I ended up getting it all back uh, at first and just that whole learning curve of something completely new. But in all honesty, the course that I bought was pretty straight, you know, seamless where you just follow the steps and, you know, it was kind of like clockwork. Uh, but, you know, back, back, I would say in 2012, there were, I mean, it was a lot easier, I would say. There wasn't much competition. You could literally put up any widget and it would, you know, fly off the shelf. Do you think the product you sold in 2012 would still be viable as a, a solution or a store today? It, it would be more, it's more competitive for sure. I mean, when I put up that widget, it was an exercise equipment thing. There was three of us on the first page of Amazon. That person, that person or me, where now I think there's 20 pages of the same product. So I wouldn't say it's not doable. I think there's always a gap in the market where you can improve on someone else. You can improve the packaging, you can improve the product, you can improve your messaging. There's always, there's always, you know, traffic to be taken. It's just how you're going to go about it. Excellent. And then you made the jump from e-commerce lately into software and services. What would you say are the top let's say three considerations for anyone thinking about jumping from an e-commerce venture into software. I think that that one would be, you know, purpose driven. Uh, in, in my experience was I, I wanted a solution to something I felt that was lacking in e-commerce and something that I experienced, you know, from my first sale that I wanted to kind of, mitigate from a second cell and make that a little more streamlined. The other one is, you know, making sure you have a good solid roadmap and you're, you're not just building for the sake of building that you're engaging in 
you know, potential users and directing the flow of your roadmap to be more adopt, you know, adoptable versus just building something for the sake of building. You have a third that comes to mind? Capital. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a challenge in, in both software and e-commerce. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the key. I mean, especially, you know, the thing with e-commerce, I feel like it's like a tsunami. You know, you, you know, you, you see your, your, your deposit in Amazon or wherever in the marketplace and it looks like this lovely, you know, chunk of cash sitting there. And then as soon as it comes, as you think it's coming in, it immediately goes back out again for more inventory. Absolutely. And yeah, where, you know, that's the other kind of step what I was looking for in more of a, of a repeatable solution such as like SaaS where subscription, you're, you know, the, the other thing with the, the software is that, you know, you're building, I wouldn't say like e-commerce is not a real business, but especially on some of the marketplaces where you don't necessarily, your customers aren't your customers, you know, with the software, you know, you're building something that's yours and it's unique and it's your own, it's on your own platform, I'd say. Interesting. Are there any particular stories or moments in your transition, either from chiropractic to e-commerce or e-commerce to software that were encouraging to you? It made you really think, yeah, like I'm, I'm definitely on the right path. I'm on to something. Um, what e-commerce for sure. I mean, I've been, you know, this, this has been since 2012 and it was, the, the story was we ended up selling our practice and we were planning on opening up another office in Florida. And then, you know, during that transition, you know, the, the e-commerce just took off and we were able to not have to, we didn't open up another practice, not because we didn't want to, it's just that we're so busy with e-commerce. Uh, so we just, you know, we just continued that journey and then we ended up selling. And that's where I kind of dived in simultaneously between that, you know, the, the, the new e-commerce and then building the SaaS to help support that SaaS. I mean, to help support that e-commerce. And it really just helped, you know, the, the SaaS really just helped with the, the, the marketplace expense management, understanding like our data so that we could make much better decisions, especially on pricing. As, as the market became more competitive, you know, pricing and expenses play a very important role in your, in your ultimate profitability. So the kind of, the, actually the kind of two merge together to just kind of help become a lot more seamless in our in our management of our of our e-commerce business. Let's switch gears a bit before diving a bit deeper into your latest software venture. I want to spend a bit of time talking about preparing your business financials for a successful exit and digging into that process. So we both know that business owners need to stay on top of their finances, but in your experience, how much did that help ease the sales process? Oh, one hundred percent. You know, having you know, I mean, shout out to you guys. Your uh, onboarding process was probably the the best experience I've ever experienced with an accounting firm, a bookkeeping firm. It was just seamless, uh, and this your team was extremely helpful. So just getting all that data to you guys and the back and forth, you know, just clearing everything up 
made that transition to having those clean financials just that much, much easier. I hope the team's going to listen and hear that bit of praise. <laughs> if not, I mean, I mean, that, 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 that actually, that was awesome. Michelle is awesome. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. What tips or tools do you feel are critical to building those bulletproof financials for a successful business exit? You know, the, uh, the A2X, the, um, I mean, the, the tools that obviously that you recommend, the ATX and the zero integrations or, or you know, QuickBooks, whatever the accounting package people use, I think those are critical to getting the, the actual true, the true P&L of the business. And then obviously the way that you guys had actually set up the, the P&L to you know, bring back the discretionary expenses that just made when you, you know, when the, the, when the requests come in for the financials, you, you know, quickly you request, Hey, could I have this, you know, last trading 12 months and off it goes to the buyer. It was pretty seamless. I would imagine in the process, and I've not been on either side of, of this process, but looking in, I would believe confidence in what's being put in front of you really helps in the negotiating phase where if a potential acquirer is confident that the results being put in front of them are accurate, then they're less apt to ask for discounts or heavily negotiate where the multiples are. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's the key, I think, is the, the verifiable financials is just going to, you know, stop any, you know, you're going to have due diligence no matter what. But if everything's verifiable and you can easily see where the flow of money is going and what the discretionaries are, it, you know, obviously it's just going to limit questions and it's going to make the whole process a lot quicker. Absolutely. How many years of financials did the acquirer want? I think they went back. I think we did three. I think they did three years. But main, but mainly based. I mean, they really want to look at the two. But yeah, I, think, I do believe they were one of the three. What kind of due diligence did they do on on those after reviewing those reports, and how much did they dig into the financials? You know, actually, not not that much because it's. The, the zero, uh, you know, everything is inside zero. It's ver verified through A2X. You know, it's not like I'm printing out a spreadsheet from, from Amazon and they got to like deep dive through all the, you know, through all the like the SKU level. They, it's pretty verifiable. There's not much, there's not much they can say. You know, they're going to look at the, you know, the, the trajectory of the business and make the decision from there. But so there wasn't a whole lot of Q&A there. It was really about reorganizing data across different systems of record and sources of truth into one central report, right? At the end of the day, that's that's all we're doing is we're taking data from Amazon, from Shopify, from 3PLs, and really just organizing it into a story presented in numbers. Exactly. That's, I mean, if, and if you can show a pretty picture with verifiable data, then it's just that much better. Absolutely. Well, Mark, let's jump into your newest exciting venture and something that we're pretty excited about here at Bean Ninjas, and that's your building of SellerView. So share with our listeners, what is SellerView and how did the idea come about? 
Okay, so I'll start with how the idea came about. So when I sold my previous e-commerce store in 20, early 2017, one of the contentious points was always, how did I come up with my cost per units? So when you're selling a business, your cost per units, they're going, they're going to be purchasing your inventory. So they want to know what your cost per units were and then how much inventory you have and they're going to multiply that together and you're going to have you know a number. So one of the contentious points was how do we come up with our cost per units? And it was a very actually annoying, tedious process of sending, you know, supply invoices across and spreadsheets and yeah, just back and forth and on. What's this? What's that? What's this? So I decided I'm just going to make it for myself and for my new bench and my new e-commerce. I'm just going to make a quick tool where I can upload an invoice and I can just get an invoice and I can spit any amount to any SKU and it would automatically calculate my cost per units. And over time, I would be able to, you know, include or exclude anything that wasn't part of my actual reoccurring cost per unit. And, you know, I was always planning on selling at some point. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to have everything in one centralized database and the new buyer can come along and they can, I can give them access and they can go in and have a look and see how everything was organized. So I ended up, you know, building it. And long story short was once it was built, I went back and put through, I think, almost two years of invoices. And, you know, went through and meticulously split every single cost and all the shipping and put organized everything. So it matched kind of what the, the number and the cost of goods sold on the, on the PL was. And the difference was about $78,000 on a 12 month trailer. So not only was my broker happy because it added an extra, you know, $270,000 on the valuation, but that's right, because you need to consider the multiple. It's not just the dollar you're saving. It's yeah, the exactly. dollar times the multiple. And it wasn't, you know, when you're looking at that, you know, it's like, oh, 78,000, like there must have been some big areas here. You know, we're looking at an average bringing down that cost per unit by, you know, 15 cents across the board. When you're selling volume of units, you know, at 15 cents can add up pretty quickly, you know, over, say, you know, 20,000 units a month you're selling. So it's very important that that cost per unit is dialed in where it actually represents the the true number versus, you know, like a lot of people come across, oh, you know, I, I just update with my calculator, I get an invoice and I put this in and I put that on. It's when it's automated, it makes a huge difference in like real-time cost analysis. And what we'll also see is folks will wait until the gap between what their inventory management solution might say the value is in their balance sheet says it is or so significantly off that then they begin to action this type of research. So having a tool that's kept up and closer to real time is something that I think will be extremely valuable to brands. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're looking at your business, like there's, you know, there's two sides, right? You got your, I feel like there's, you know, you got your, your bookkeeping and then that just happens naturally and it flows. And then you got like running your business where, you know, there's this few by skew performance where if you're not really necessarily looking at your skew by skew performance and if you're just averaging out your costs versus whether it's shipping or 
however you import in your product, it's very important that that shipping, those shipping calculations actually represent, say, the cost per cubic meter versus just giving it a broad band. Oh, I imported, say, 10,000 units. It was $10,000. It's, it's a dollar a piece. You know, it's important to think about like how much space those units are actually taking up in a container and figuring it out versus cubic meter versus just dividing it by units because that also made a huge difference in our kind of calculations. Now let's hear about our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by A2X Automated E-Commerce Accounting. I'm the founder of Beanages, which is a specialist e-commerce accounting firm working with brands in Australia, the US and UK. We've tested all of the e-commerce accounting tools out there and A2X is a core part of our tech stack. I'm going to share an example of how we use A2X with one of our clients. This particular client sells swimwear, which they manufacture in Asia and sell in the US. Their sales channels are Amazon and Shopify. And they had a recent challenge where they were trying to get accurate financials for a loan and were struggling with this. When they moved over to Ninjas, they wanted accrual accounting, but previously their prior accountants had only done cash accounting. And because of that, it was difficult for them to show an accurate gross profit and net profit figure when they were presenting their financials to get the loan. This was mainly because of the lumpy stock purchases. Moving over to A2X and using the cost of goods functionality meant they could move to accrual accounting. We could then help them prepare their financials faster, and ultimately they were successful in securing a loan. Check out A2X to automate some of the accounting work. Excellent. And I love your objective of helping sellers widen the gap between sales and marketplace expenses by reducing their cost of goods sold. So you did share a bit about how we calculate cost of goods sold, but also you get into helping sellers understand their marketplace expenses. What are some actionable lessons or tips that you've learned about product or marketplace expenses that you can share? This is is the big one. Never assume Amazon has your fees correct. <laughs> so I don't know if you're know, familiar. There's this, obviously Amazon has this new machine that's called the QB scan, where your products come along the conveyor belt. QB scan takes a picture and it it determines the the dimensions and weights from this. But oftentimes. You know, there could be, say, the, the packaging uh, sleeve has moved or something where the camera actually then goes, oh, this package is a little bit bigger. So what ends up happening is it automatically changes your dimensions inside Amazon and then your fees, so it could push you into the next product size tier and then you just start getting charged automatically for the new tier. But the kicker is Amazon does not tell you. They don't, they don't alert you. They just automatically change it. And it's up to you to monitor this. So that's one of the solutions. This actually happened about a year and a half ago, I'd say, where we're actually in the middle of a roadmap. And I discovered that Amazon had overcharged us by something like four. And this was back when we were actually allowed to go back 18 months and claim 18 months worth of, um, of errors. They subsequently changed that to, I think you have 90 days now. But anyway, I discovered $90,000 worth of errors over 18 months that we had been overcharged. So I... That makes for a... Yeah, yeah. So I got the refund. And I was like, how do I... You know, like, and the other thing, I mean, 
I do, I do use, uh, you know, uh, services of, you know, collections where they go and they, you know, they double check, but I just feel, I feel, I felt like dimensions should just be accurate. Like, you know, box isn't going to change. It's not going to grow. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to pay recovery fees on, on dimensions. So I actually told my, my development team, I was like, listen, can we make a solution where we pull in, we, we first of all, hard code inside Cellaview what the dimensions actually are. And then every day we just check what Amazon has. And if there's a discrepancy, I get an alert. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So they actually ended up building it. Um, you know, it's inside the app's book, feed tracker. And so every day you check what Amazon is charging you versus what I have. And if it's correct, you get an email, say everything is great. And if it's not, then you're going to alert or what changed. But even with this tool, I get, you know, it takes probably like two or three days to open up a case and then they get back to you. So there's probably like a four day window. But even with the four day window on the number of SKUs we, you know, we had ended up being like $26,000 of, of, um, you know, reimbursements I got back from Amazon from, from those areas over, over 12 months. So, and that's just, you know, over four days. Excellent. So you mentioned dimensions. What's another place you would point people to look when searching for these hidden savings? Yeah, so when you're looking at so there's there's three types of fees. There's you know the referral fee, which is based off percentage of your price. So there's not much you can do there. You just gotta obviously make sure that you know it is the right percentage. The next is what we just discussed is the FBA fees where making sure your product is in the right product tier and you're getting charged the right amount. You could make sure if you're looking at your packaging, you know, some people have, I think this has changed over the years, but some people have like ebooks or inserts inside those, inside the packaging which might make it a little heavier. You could probably take those out and put a digital download link somewhere along there and that would help reduce the size. Uh, making the package a little bit smaller, pushing it down in the in the pricing tier, that would help. Um, then the other one is the variable costs. Now this is the shipping to Amazon, your long term storage fees, your your placement fees, your yeah, you know, just your regular storage fees. Just yeah, you know, making sure that you aren't spending too much on storage would be another way to get back some of the margins and add that to your. Great tips. I want to wrap things up with a few rapid fire questions. You okay for that, Mark? Yeah. Excellent. So we mentioned at the intro, you're a father of two and an entrepreneur living in Grand Cayman. What's a typical day look like for you? Typical day is, you know, wake up, get the kids ready for school, um, and then drop them off for school. And actually, I, I go to the gym first thing in the morning. So. I get my gym out of the way and then I, I head home. I work from home uh, most of the time. Yeah, just, um, and then that's it. I pick them up. I go pick them up and hang out with them in the afternoon. Excellent. What challenge does living the dream in Grand Cayman <laughs> as a workplace style uh, bring? Work wise? Yeah. Any distractions? Uh, how how's the workplace and, and the work style in Grand Cayman? Have you noticed that any dif- any differences? Than- well, yeah, I'm currently looking at 
apparently looking outside of the canal, which is very get out of the paddle most of the time. <laughs> and it's also blue skies most of the time. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, it's a pretty uh, sufficient island. You know, with the you know obviously the financial center, the the actual internet is is pretty is pretty fast. I have never experienced any downtime on the internet. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing which is a concern is during hurricane season, when the, you know the hurricanes do. You know, we haven't actually had one come close to us, but you know power lines do go down. So. What's your go-to process or tool for being productive and effectively managing your energy and time? So I use I use Slack and Monday.com. Excellent. What books or resources have really helped you understand finances? Books and yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, I do I do listen to a lot of podcasts and. I just genuinely been pretty interested in. I think if it was a sick my if I had a second life, I think I I, I might have been an accountant, a book, a bookkeeper. But I think that my brain resonates with numbers pretty well. Excellent. So at Bean Ninjas, our mission is to create freedom for entrepreneurs through stress-free business finances. What does freedom mean to you, Mark? Freedom is, I would say, you know, after having kids, is being able to spend, you know, more time with them and enjoy the the, the memories uh, with them as they're growing up. At the same time, being able to, you know, do the things that I love to do. Now, I do enjoy building businesses. That I enjoy, you know, I would like to be classified as like a startup entrepreneur, where like I really enjoy building up a business and getting it ready to sell. Um, but but being able to do that simultaneously and being able to balance my my home life with my work life and not one is out of balance. Excellent. As a father of five, I very much can empathize with that. So, Mark, share with our listeners where can they find you or get in touch, reach out to connect further. So yeah, you can just visit sellerview.com. Um, one thing that I mean, I would be uh, happy to do for Bean Ninjas clients is offer a you know, a free assessment or an audit of their uh, Amazon account to see is it potential way to reduce their cost of goods sold in in a in a in an effortless way. Amazing offer! Thanks so much, Mark, for being a guest today. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Are you tired of feeling overwhelmed with your e-commerce finances? Let Ninjas help you with our popular e-commerce toolkit, now available for both QuickBooks and Xero. With our forecasting templates, you can easily plan for the ups and downs in your monthly cash flow. And our other templates will help you stay on top of your finances with current reporting. And as a special thank you for supporting us, we want to give you this toolkit for free. Simply go to beanninjas.com slash toolkits to grab your copy today and start taking control of your finance. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit subscribe to receive notifications of upcoming episodes.